Sweeney Todd, uh, I was about to say the musical, Sweeney Todd, the musical experience, perhaps, of Sondheim and uh, Harold Prince's production is exciting for a number of reasons. I think primarily for the performance of Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Lovett, who bakes a certain kind of strange and nutritious pie, mm -hmm. the worst pies in London. And it's a quite remarkable performance by Angela Lansbury, who is known, of course, for many roles. She's played straight theater on films which she won awards, as well as for Mame, a wholly different role. And she's my guest this morning, and there's a richness to her life as well as to her art. In fact, I imagine both are related, and so I'm delighted she's my guest this morning. In a moment after this message. <laughs> Times is hard, and what's a poor woman to do? Oh, breath was short, I, I have to tell you. You know, when, when we recorded that, uh, we recorded it at the normal pace that I play it on the stage, you know. It didn't seem to work, because, of course, you, you didn't have the visual picture of me slapping the dough around, you know, and spitting and, and swallowing and all the rest of it. So I said, look, let me do it very, very fast, just, just to see how it goes, you know, just for a kick. So we did, and that's what's on the record. And I, I had no idea they were going to use that one. But um, oddly enough, it, it worked very well because you never have enough room on records, you know, so, so the faster you can sing the song, you, the better. So you were half improvising. I mean, there, there came an idea, and of course, it's your pace, too. Mm. So we come to you and your artistry, and it is artistry. This woman, Mrs. Lovett, this Cockney woman, part of history. By the way, Sweeney Todd is based upon a possible, a possible event impossible horror. It's become part of legend, we know. Yeah, I, I don't think it's even possible. I think it's pure 100% legend, actually. I mean, if you really want to get down to the gritty of it, I think that the, the legend originally came from France, came across the channel, and, and uh, the, the British picked up on it uh, because they always liked those kind of murky characters, you know, that kind of uh, lived in the uh, underworld of London. But um, I don't think it's, it's actually based on fact. I think people mix it up with Jack the Ripper, you know. Yeah. But it became part of music hall songs. Oh, absolutely. They loved the character of Sweeney Todd, and children were always terrified going to bed if their mother said to him, you better go to sleep or Sweeney Todd will get you if you don't watch out. So He's the boogeyman. The boogeyman. Yeah, he was, he's a, so that, that was it. Now, Mrs. Lovett, the role you create, here she is with these pies made out of, a, as, a, as, as, one, as the music hall song goes, another song goes, and these kids are eating nutritious pies but made out of their daddies. <laughs> so here's, you survive. You, you play it. How do you interpret Mrs. Lovett when you play her? Well, when I play her? Yeah. I, I just simply uh, look upon her as a woman who is pushed to the utmost extreme to exist in the world. And I think that living on the edge of society with one foot in the gutter, facing starvation daily, uh, when, when the proposition enters her mind that uh, she will have a great deal of easy raw material at her fingertips by way of her raw, friend you Mr. Mr. literal Todd. raw material literally fingertips. raw material yeah. yes I never like to really put my finger on the, what it actually is there's yeah. no necessity no. for that I mm. think the imagination <laughs> <laughs> does that for you but I think the fact that here she is faced with this easy easy uh, uh, supply uh, she doesn't hesitate to suggest to Mr. Todd that they should make good use of it and uh, bolster the, the, the family business and uh, She's simply a, a woman of expedience. I think she, uh, she recognizes a good thing. You know, here's a set. Here's a certain kind of place in London. It's the time of the Industrial Revolution during a moment of it. And it's a slum area. Not, and I say, somehow, Angela Lansbury plays this in a special way. I'm not saying other actresses, singers can't do it. But hers added dimension. I thought to myself, 
Angela Lansbury. Any granddaughter of George Lansbury has got to be pretty good. And uh, that opens up. Well, audience doesn't know who George Lansbury is, so mm-hmm. it's your story. Well, George Lansbury was an extraordinary man. He was a politician. He was the one of the original um, form, uh, founders of the British Labour Party. He was originally a social democrat, and of course that group became the British Labour Party. He was a pacifist. He was um, an MP, a member of parliament, for one of the poorest sections of London. This was all back around the turn of the century. We're talking about your grandfather. My grandfather. Mm -hmm. My father's father. I, of course, only knew him as as a kid. He was a man who used to press a half a crown into my hand when I was a child when he said goodbye and tickled my face with his whiskers. He had most wonderful sort of mutton-chop white whiskers. But he was such a a figure in London, I can't begin to tell you how much he was loved by all the the common people, the have-nots. He was a champion of the underdog. He was also a champion of women's suffrage. He even went to jail for women's suffrage, almost by mistake. But his great role, I think, was as a pacifist. And during the years of the uh, Ramsay MacDonald cabinet in England, when I was, was really a tiny child, and most of this I only know through books and hearsay, he got up in, in the House of Commons and uh, had great verbal battles with Winston Churchill about rearmament and so, so on. He, went and he met Hitler, he came to America, and he met Eleanor Roosevelt. He went on tour with Eleanor Roosevelt in 1939 to try and stop the inevitable war. So my relationship to him is one of the proudest that you could possibly imagine. But through him and because of the, the area that he lived in London and was known and the people that were always in his home because his home was open to everyone, I know the part of London where Sweeney Todd actually is, is uh, placed. I know the people. I know the Cockney humour. I know, I know the mentality of these people. And uh, I know what wonderful folk they are. I know what, um, I know what they can get up to. And I can empathise with the situation of a woman like Mrs. Lovett. I really can empathise with her. I have to. Otherwise, I could never make her likeable enough for you to sit still in an audience and put up with, because what she gets up to is pretty strong stuff. Nevertheless, I can't justify what she does. But from her point of view, I can. Because that's, what, that's of course, what adds that dimension, that added dimension to Angela Lansbury's performance of Mrs. Lovett. Somehow, as I was watching you at, at the um, Airy Crown Theatre and I, the set, and I couldn't help think of your grand. I knew here's a magnificent actress, performer, but there's something else, and that was haunting me. That's why I had to ask you that question. Well, I think, you oh. see, the thing that he had, and maybe I, I hope to God I have inherited some quarter, some tiny little piece of it, was he has had an extraordinary feeling for humanity. He really understood people. Now, understanding people is having an extraordinary imagination and also having a tremendous feeling of warmth and affection for the human race. And he had that to such a degree that I couldn't begin to tell you. I don't have it to any, anything like the degree he had, but I have a tiny bit of it which makes me understand and listen very closely to what people say. I'm talking to the man who is the past master of this, and uh, you know it better than anybody, any one of us here within a many, many miles radius. But because I understand what you do, 
you, you will understand that it's part and parcel of my work as an actress to be able to understand people other than Angela Lansbury. Otherwise, I can't mm. begin to portray them. And so the maid in Candlelight, which you won the Academy Award, here's that, even though she did something horrendous, we understand, you, you, by the way, you were, she was a survivor, too. Yes, yeah, she was. How about survivors, aren't we? Mm. And to survive, sometimes one does a terrible thing. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. And your grandfather would have done something else, but I'm talking about people not of his particular strength and nobility and his courage, mm -hmm. but ordinary people so-called, the many of us, to survive. So there's Mrs. Lovett, or Sweeney Todd himself, the understanding of something, why a person does what he does. Mm. You see, Sweeney Todd is a different kettle of fish entirely. Sweeney Todd was a man who had been a very successful barber a man who looked after the upper classes. He wasn't a lower class man, as you might say in those days. And he was, mis he was uh, dishonorably sent away to a penal colony. He comes back and he's a man who over 15 years has built up this smoldering, hot feeling that he has to have revenge for the loss of his beautiful wife, you know. And so he comes mm -hmm. back and he and Mrs. Uh, Lovett make a curious pair because That's they're totally different. That's interesting. He was of a of upper oh, uh, yes, stratum, yes. far be beyond Mrs. Lovett, who was Cockney survivor. Sure. That's why she, she was on her knees in, with, uh, uh, you know, she, she loved him so much and, and she appreciated the fact that he was such a fine gentleman, you know. He really was. Way above her. She you know, <laughs> there's something else about your performance and that's music hall. We know there's a great tradition, a working class British tradition, well others, but primarily the, the great many people of England who worked great, loved the music hall. Mm. And Mrs. Lovett, your performance is almost over a music hall performance. Good, I'm glad you said that, because I, I really designed it with that in mind, totally. Um, the, the cloth that Mrs. Lovett is made of is, is taken from many, many little songs and little glimpses that one has had, and when, when certain little things I do, little dances that I do, they all come out of pantomime, you know, English pantomime, which is so very special, this, this Christmas show we put on every year, where, the, where the, uh, the, uh, the dame, as she is called, is always played by a man. You see, and an awful lot of that shtick, as we call it in, in uh, the business, actually I learned as a child. I didn't learn it, I simply absorbed it. And uh, I feel that everything one ever sees or hears in life, you, you do, you mm. put it away somewhere. You, you know? saw and music halls as, as a child. Not very much no. music halls. Because it was going because by I, then. It was gone by then. Yeah. But I did see a lot of, uh, of the big variety shows in London at the Palladium and places like that. And all of that stuff, those great duo acts, you know, that we had in America, too, in vaudeville. Same thing. You know, I think a perfect song from that would be By the Sea. It's almost, is a music hall song, Oh, almost. absolutely, now, yes. Now, uh, suppose you set the scene for this. You are wooing um, Mr. Yeah, Todd. this is the second act of Sweeney Todd, and, and uh, we, we've come up in the world a bit because we've really started to make money hand over fist with these delicious pies, so we have a new mm -hmm. business going, and we've been working very hard, and he's been busily slitting throats, and I've been By making the way, pies. quick interjection. Now, I, want, I don't <laughs> want to interrupt you. You see, the way you say it, too, these delicious pies, see, you finally come to believe it, Mrs. Love. 
love it, that it is delicious pies, no matter what oh, the ingredients absolutely. might be. Oh, sure. Oh, yes. In fact, there's that one song at the beginning of the second act, yeah. God, That's Good, you know, where everybody's falling over themselves to get to the pies. They're so great. And, of course, the business booms. And they've had such a busy day making pies. So there are the two of them sitting in the parlor, and he's tamping his pipe, and she's uh, at the p- uh, totting out the figures. And she sings uh, what her dream is for them, for their future life together. And just here, again... Um, Music Hall is evoked, but there was something we were talking about toward the end of this record, uh, the song By the Sea. Of course, you were also singing, dancing, but there's, a, I guess, a sense of freedom that you have. Yes, it's a curious thing, you see. Uh, acting and the, the, the business of performing is a tremendous release to me. I can be released on stage in ways that I, I couldn't conceive of in my own life. And I can feel free to do absolutely anything. Um, play any kind of character. The only characters that I I did an awful lot of when I started out, I played an awful lot of bitter, nasty women. I don't want to play any more bitter, nasty women. Uh, I had enough of that. I could do that awfully well, you see, because my imagination could soar in the, that direction. I only had to think about the things that would hurt me desperately mm. and then turn the tables and, and, and let that be the, the person that I, I could, uh, oh, I hated myself. So I, that's the only thing I really uh, draw the line at. <laughs> but then you do the elegant Auntie Mae, and we'll come to that later, and mm. as well as the Cockney Mrs. Lovett. Before I ask you to do music hall, well, you said something a moment ago about yourself and something you could do. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, well, I've often thought, I've, I've listened to, so, uh, to, to these wonderful old music hall songs, you know, and I've often thought of putting together a sort of program or something, and I... I You've got a book here. I don't know what this is. It's a, I guess it's a record. Yeah, it's old, a record, old music record yeah. I was remembering that. I remember this one. I see this lyric here. I remember this. How's it go? There, there, wa- there was a poor young girl who lived in the country, and she came to the city to seek employment. She left her home in the country because the wolf was at the door, and her father had fallen down and hurt his knee. <laughs> is that crazy? <laughs> Great fun. Oh, dear. Yes, just before she came to the city, her boyfriend, whose name was Jack, said to her, I feel you might not be true. So he made her a promise. So he made her promise him before she got onto the train that every night at eight she would burst into tears. (laughs) (laughs) It has that. It's a grady shaggy dog quality. Shaggy dog. It's all kind of put together with spit and vinegar. It's kind of fun. After the extraordinary preciseness of uh, Stephen Sondheim's lyrics. How did it begin with you? See, there was, we know about your grandfather mm-hmm. and yourself, and you said, theater, were you dancing, acting as a little girl? How did that um, begin? Yes, but not really realizing that uh, what I was doing was getting myself really ready to, be, to put myself on the line as an actress. As a youngster, I, oh, I took dancing lessons, you know, and elocution lessons. Most English children do, you know. It's just part of the uh, curriculum, really. My mother was an actress. Oh, your mother was an actress. My mother was a very successful actress in the 20s. And uh, she was also Irish. What was her name? Moyna McGill. Moyna McGill. Moyna McGill. And she was a lovely leading lady in London. She gave it up after I was born, and my brothers were on the way. And she retired from the theatre. So during my early growing up years, she was not active in the theatre, but she knew everybody. And I always remember she would call up her manager friends and say, I'd love to come and see a matinee this afternoon. May I bring my daughter? And you always got free seats in those days. The manager always gave you the 
the house seats for nothing, you see. So I got to see a lot of theatre as a child. Thank goodness I did, because I saw great, great performances of great actors, which, of course, is the most enduring memory one has of theatre is when you're young and you see great performances, even though you don't recognise them as such, they never leave you. So um, I had this sort of atmosphere around me all the time when I was a youngster growing up. And uh, I've often thought that it's the Irish in me, I think, that gave me a sense of humour and a sense of rhythm, which I was always glad for. Because, uh, and it's that, that also that rather fey quality that the Irish have, which I, I wouldn't give up for anything in the world. Yeah. And I got that from her. So it was a combination of that with a very English background of my my father's family oh. and George and so on. Uh, the, the two went together awfully well. You know, Mrs. Lovett could be Irish Cockney. Sure. We know the many Irish Cockneys, we know that. Yes. You know? So even though the name is Lovett, mm-hmm. she could be that too, because sure. you, you infuse it with that sort of fake quality. That well, I like to think so, and I, I, don't, I didn't really think about it until mm. just recently. I've started to realize that that was, that was the most wonderful heritage that I got. Then it was straight, then it was, it was straight theater. Mm-hmm. that you broke into. I was just started off, you see, ah. really. Well, not quite. Actually, I started off doing a, um, a musical act. That was the first thing I ever did in cabaret when I was 16. I lied about my age and went up to Canada to a little, little Russian uh, after-hours club called the Samovar and made my absolute professional debut at uh, 16 years old, pretending I was 19. And I used to do imitations of Beatrice Lilly and uh, Gracie Fields and all, all those wonderful uh, greats. You saw Beatrice Lilly a couple of times. I did, yes, I did. That I didn't met her, thank goodness. Because there's the great clown. Oh, doing the great clown. Oh, one of the funniest Now, she on would TV. do that. He would do that takeoff on elegance as the maid, for instance. Absolutely, with the, with the sneakers on. <laughs> you know. the sneakers on. Yeah. And he would be the takeoff on the upper crust. Yes. She could do. She, yes, but her art was something I yeah. couldn't touch. Yeah. I couldn't get anywhere near yeah. what she did. And uh, we're all different. It's very yeah, interesting. We can never... Yeah. There are very f- few um, two of a kind in our business, you know. It's very interesting how unique most of the great people in our business are. You say two of a kind. Well, you very seldom get two Beatrice Lilies yeah. in a generation. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and uh, the really great uh, performers in, in the theatre and... Uh, and every every area are, are kind of one of a kind. Yeah, they're, they're singular quality. Yes, I'm they thinking do. about you though, and and the variety. Let's take a pause for now and resume because uh, not too long ago you were Smash's Mame, a wholly different figure entirely, aside from your film work. So, you were also the mother of uh, in Taste of Honey, weren't you? Mm-hmm. One of the yes. yeah, of course you were in the, yes, in the Sheila Delaney uh, play. Was it Sheila Delaney play? Yeah. What a memory you have! Yes. No, I remember that very well. Yes, with uh, Joan Plowright and. Uh, and she Billy D. Williams, girl, yeah. Right, yeah. Mm. So you realize Billy D. Williams made his debut on the stage in that? He did? Yes. As the young black sailor. Yes. Yeah. So we, we resume in a moment with, uh, as you can see, the very rich Angela Lansbury, rich in imagination and, and, and giftedness. She, as you know, is in Sweeney Todd at the, uh, the Area Crown Theater through, uh, let's see, you'll be there through... Uh, through Sunday the 7th of Sunday, March. Sunday, March 7th. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's an experience seeing it. Naturally, it's an original as far as a, a musical play is concerned, but uh, her performance is something to be seen and to be accelerated by or with in yeah. a moment more after this message. And so resuming the conversation, the reflections of Angela Lansbury. So, Mame, now we come to Patrick Dennis's book became a play and then the musical. Here is the 
uh, lady of the world, woman of the world, and her raising her young nephew. Wholly different figure. Oh, entirely. Uh, the kind of figure I never touched. I never played this kind of character, ever. Never had the chance. And uh, the reason it came about was that I had made the plunge and I had left California long enough to go to New York to make one stab at being a musical performer. And that was in a St Stephen Sondheim um, musical called Anyone Can Whistle. Uh, it only ran for nine performances in New York. But thank goodness, Jerry Herman was there on one of those performances. In fact, I think he saw three. And uh, at that time, he was... He's a lyricist, songwriter. He was the songwriter and lyricist of Mame. So, thank goodness he saw it because he decided that I could handle the musical version of Auntie Mame, which was going to be called Mame. And uh, after a tremendous amount of uh, difficulties getting the part, because Josh Logan was going to direct it originally, he had me come and audition, and uh, he turned me down, so I didn't have the role. Then they changed directors, and uh, they got Gene Sachs. So Gene also auditioned me, I think twice, and the, the second time, I'd auditioned now about four times, I decided that either they gave me the part or I was going to leave New York forever. Well, they gave me the part, and of course, the rest is, as they say, um, Broadway history. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the character, though, the woman herself now, yeah. he was the, he was the uh, sophisticated, highly sophisticated, eccentric. Yes, well, I, all, of those, all of those qualities in this dame I could imagine, but I also had to bring them to me and make them part of my, um, my not my own personal mentality, but I had to understand and uh, make her as much my way. I had to do it my way. You see, everybody else had played Mame, Auntie Mame, Ros Russell. I never saw her do it, but I could imagine how she did it. So I just did it my way. And uh, it, it, it incorporated a great deal more humanity, I think, and uh, subtlety, shall we say. And um, she was much more of a get-attable human being. She was a madcap, as they say. And that word always conjures up somebody with a funny hat on. Mm. Well, she was a clown, but she was also terribly sophisticated mm. and really very, very intelligent, but a bit of an ass, too, which is the quality yeah. that I loved about her. She well, made a fool of herself, and she was terribly funny. I thought perhaps to play this one song, because you, you said there's a feeling for her, too. It's a very moving song. It's wistful. If he walked into my life. Here, this is now about her nephew. Yeah. Was she wrong with him? Was she in the... But she's really talking about her own life, too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, what, because what she realized was she'd taken this little boy and she'd subjected, to him, subjected him to all the sophistication and this extraordinary life. And uh, up to a certain point, he went along with it and he seemed perfectly happy. Well, then, of course, he hit adolescence and went off to high school and college and he suddenly turns completely around and becomes an absolute prig and impossible and they can't speak to one another. They have lost their means of communicating. And it is at that time when he flounces out of the house and she's left. And she said, you know, my God, what did I do wrong? And would I, would I do it the same way if he walked into my life today? Yeah. Well, I guess she found out. <laughs> Uh, that's Mame, and this is a wistful song. But your offering is great, but it's a it's really asking a question. Not the lyrics are very good too. Mm, I think so. Asking I, a question: Did I, oh, I push this kid? Oh yeah. No. I think it's a question that many many mothers ask themselves. Um, I certainly asked it myself, 
um, I could understand that song very well. I think well. about it's a ballad. At the same time, you're an actress, and so that is also a little drama there too. Oh, very much so. It's a whole story. It's a whole scene, as they say. You play the scene. I personally, when I'm singing a song, I I really don't sing a song. I think um, I play a scene to music. I'm really uh, an actress first, obviously, and a singer second. But um, I've had to learn a lot of the skills of singing to be able to... uh, to uh, function well, you know, as as a singing actress, but uh, basically, really, uh, I, I always feel that a lyric is a line, and it's not just a, a lyric. I'm thinking of the contrast too, the two roles, the two acting roles, Mame and Mrs. Lovett, mm-hmm. and the, oh, two different worlds, and, t- and yet in both cases you become that. Yes, that person. I'd l- I'd love to one day sing a role that that embodied the the qualities of a Mame. Um, but with a little bit more of a feet on the ground, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I'd like her to be a bit more of an every woman. I'd love to play an every woman yeah, sometime. Pr- well, the property's going to come along. I think it will, yeah. and that's what I'm really. Yeah, I'm thinking for. also of the challenges that that you face and meet. Now you're going to take part in the production of John Gay's Beggar's Opera. John Gay's yeah, Beggar's John Opera. John Gay's Beggar's Opera. Yes. And your your colleagues. Now we're talking about something interesting here. I mean, Joan Sutherland. And and the um, uh, the, the T- New Zealand singer Takanawa, yes. Takanawa, both yes. of magnificent sopranos. Yes, and you're going to be the Mrs. Peachum. Yes, me with my little weeny voice. But you see, the interesting thing I think will be that uh, I I will bring a, a quality of character to Mrs. Peachum, which is what they want. And it's interesting that they they uh, had the idea. Actually, the idea was suggested to them um, by uh, Kenneth Billington, oddly enough, who did the the uh, lighting plot for our show. He was crossing on the Queen Elizabeth with the um, one of the producers at uh, Decca Records, and he suggested it. And so they suggested it to Richard Bonning and uh, Joan Sutherland, who were in Australia at the time. And uh, Richard said, that's the best idea anybody's had in 25 years. <laughs> said, wish she was here doing it with us at the uh, Sydney Opera House, which was... Uh, Cute thought, actually. Have you ever seen that opera house? Have you ever been no, in it? No, no, oh, I've never, never been to something else. Well, I've never been to Australia. Really? But you, you played Australia, haven't you? Uh, n- no. Uh, n- no, I've never played there, but I made a movie there. Yeah. A little bit different. Anyway, that's all how that all came yeah. about. But I think it's interesting because most opera singers aren't very good actors and actresses. They would like to be, and they're interested in learning and uh, working with good coaches and stuff. Sure, I'm told that Lawrence Tibbet was. Fantastic actor. Yes, I never saw yeah. him, but uh, there were cer- certain ones. But right, most of the, here yes. you are, the actress playing with Sutherland and Terry Ticano. Isn't it crazy? I mean, <laughs> it's really what we call a stretch so, in the business. But it's going to work out. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm I'm a bit worried. I, I keep rushing to the piano and plonking out the, the notes, you know, of what because I have there to are, sing. Now the music to John Gay's so later on came the. Kurt Weill, Bertolt Brecht, Free Penny. Mm. But the music, are, are they old folk songs? Oh, they're old folk songs. They're old, they're old hymns, they're yeah. Purcell, Bach, all sorts yeah. of uh, oh, uh, songs and melodies that we used to sing that were in the old Gaudiamus book that we sang from at school. A lot of those old melodies are in the John Gay uh, Beggar's Opera. And, of course, most people know Beggar's Opera backwards. You High just said you sang the Gaudiamus yes. hymn book at school. Yes. Did, did the Salvation Army music influence you a little? 
when you were a kid? I'm sure it did because they were so much around. They certainly influenced me today. I think they're one of the finest bodies of do-gooders around, and I uh, back them 100%. Because I know in London the Salvation Army has always played a tremendous street role. Oh, indeed they did. They were fascinating to us kids with their tambourines and their squeeze boxes. So in your case, all influences... All of Finally those things. Converge oh, indeed they do. You never forget through. anything. <laughs> what are the, before we hear one more, we're getting one more, we come back to Sweeney Todd, which is the, uh, the, the play. Play, you don't call it an opera. It's a comedy. It's not a musical comedy traditionally. It's, it's a musical entertainment, entertainment, and it's a musical experience. And I think the less people try to uh, relate to it, the better not necessary uh-huh. it's of another time it's 1840 England and uh, I think if you can just look at it and stand off and just appreciate it for the sounds the what you're going to see and the general movement and rhythms of it I think you can get great enjoyment out of it so here's Mrs. Lovett again and uh, this is scene have a little priest suppose you set the scene for this well um, Sweeney Todd is just bumped off his second victim and uh, we don't quite know what to do with the body and uh, he says oh we'll take it away and bury it when it's dark and and suddenly a a, a penny drops in Mrs. Lovett's head and she says wait a minute I have an idea and that's how and this song is her idea and the song is the scene so I'm not going to tell you because the song is self-explanatory and so in listening to, to Mrs. Moffat, Mrs. Lovett, Mrs. Moffat. Mm. Hey, you could do Mrs. Moffat someday, too. Oh, Miss Moffat, yes, corners in the green, corner's green, yes. But Mrs. Lovett and, and uh, Sweeney Todd, there's a touch of vaudeville here, too. The, all, forms, all forms are used here in a sense, aren't they? Yes, you, you find yourself just pulling all kinds of things out of the grab bag. And uh, it all comes, comes over you like osmosis. A building that, that particular number was tremendous fun, really, in rehearsal, trying all different kinds of things to, to, to lift it up off the ground and to make it just sort of just fly along, you know. Because the lyric is so complex, so, so funny, it mustn't interfere with the audience's uh, uh, ability to concentrate on listening. Uh, however, one also can dress it up, you know, with the visual, which is fun. And so I think after Sweeney Todd will be uh, Free Penny, with the with, uh, oh, l- beggars, uh, beggars, beggars, <laughs> uh, beggars John Gay's beggars opera with yes. with, with uh, Joan Little was going to say with Joan Sutherland. Mm. Joan Little is good too. Oh, she <laughs> is. She she's she's the mother of uh, all kinds of of street theater. Yeah. You know, she's terrific. Because you were in Taste of Honey that she originally did exactly, and with uh, Terry. Kanawa mm-hmm. and Joan Sutherland. And then, what are the challenges? Always, as usual, before we, before we say goodbye for now, and remind the audience of Sweeney Todd playing, and it's a fascinating experience, a very rich one, too, to see it at the Airy Crown Theatre through March... Uh, March uh, 7th, that March Sunday. 7th. Yes. Uh, what other challenges await you? Well, you, you know, I always keep my f- feet in two puddles. One is the theatre, and the other one is movies. Because uh, movie acting is where, how I started uh, in this country, and uh, I just feel I have a warm spot for it, even though I love the live audience much better. Nevertheless, I love to kind of reach the big audience by way of movies, and I've got a movie out now, which is The um, Mirror Cracked, you know, in which I played Jane Marple, the detective, Agatha Christie's lady. So uh, having sort of gotten back in movies, 
a little bit. I, Peter and I have decided that uh, we, we have our hands on a piece of very original material. Peter is my manager and uh, my partner, and uh, we just do everything together as far as uh, the business, the theater and movies is concerned. And we're hoping to produce a movie, actually, hopefully in 82. We have a wonderful piece of uh, new material, original, that was written for me, and uh, I think it could be a, an, an hilarious comedy. We might shoot it in Australia. What do you think of that? Well, and that's that uh, might be the reason well, you'd have to come to Australia yeah, well, to I visit would like us. Yeah, I like very much. In Australia, more and more, we know now as far as films are concerned. Oh, very exciting directors. They're and really an emerging right country in that respect. Whether it be uh, the chant of Jimmy Blacksmith or or the one about the Boer War, a variety yes. of powerful films are coming out in Australia. Oh, tremendous! Yes, yeah. uh, the Picnic at Hanging Rock and uh, the new one about the. Uh, the man in the army, I forget the name of it. Something yeah. Morant. Mo- yeah, but, uh, Trooper Morant? Trooper, no. something, something like, like that, that yeah. Yes. But it's also about uh, powerful stuff coming out there. Yes. As well as the study of the young girl, the other one, too. Oh, yes. In Can any he? event, no question, Angela Lansbury, as they say in a soap opera, faces life. Angela Lansbury faces life. <laughs> 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 and theater and audiences. Uh, nightly now at the Airy Crown Theater. And thank you very much for being... Oh, one of the joys of my being in Chicago has been meeting you and talking to you. So thank you for having me. I'm going to quit now while I'm ahead. (laughs) Thank you very much.